From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. Colorado's population is aging faster than most other states and aging in place. Aging in place means that you're able to live where you want to, no matter your health conditions or your disabilities. We'll talk about a new program aimed at making sure older Coloradans will have the help they'll need to thrive long term. We live in a culture where talking about aging and death is taboo, but the reality is we will all age. Then, have you ever bought a lottery ticket and wondered, where does all that money go? You're not alone. Turns out, a lot of it goes back to those who play, but a big chunk of it goes somewhere else. We are the only one in the world whose complete focus is on improving and maintaining the outdoor environment in Colorado. I cannot donate as much now as I could when I was working, but I still feel it's important to give what I can. I gave because I've lived in Colorado for five years now and I've listened to CPR almost every single day and I felt like it was time for me to finally step up and support all the wonderful programming. I value and trust this public resource. I have two children and I want it to continue well into their future. Whatever your reason for giving, thank you. This is Colorado Matters on CPR News and KRCC. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. Aging, well, it's inevitable. To paraphrase that famous song from Disney's The Lion King, simply a part of the circle of life. But how you age and the care and resources available to you in your latter years makes a huge difference and can determine how long you live and, more importantly, how well you live. Yes, your quality of life. And data shows that Colorado's population continues to trend older. Here's what state demographer Elizabeth Garner had to say about that when I interviewed her on Colorado Matters in November. So for last decade, this decade, and probably next, the following decade, so between 2040 and 2050, the fastest growing age group is our 65 plus. And Mm. actually, it's even a little bit older. It's our 75 to 84 year olds. If we look at just one 10 year age group are by far the fastest growing and most growth in the state. And are older people staying in their houses longer than they used to? No, they're staying in their houses as they always have. It's just that we've never had a lot of older people. This is really the first couple of decades we have really had a lot of older adults. That was state demographer Elizabeth Garner. Now for a statistic that, quite frankly, surprised me. At the end of 2022, Colorado was second only to Alaska, for the fastest growth among the 65 and older demographic. That's according to information shared by the Colorado Health Institute. And as the state demographer alluded to, by 2050, Colorado's number of older adults is expected to more than double to 1.7 million. That's a lot of people. Yet observers say there is no end in sight for the alarming shortage of caregivers in our state who are trained and equipped to help seniors as they age here in Colorado. To help meet that growing demand in the fall, Metropolitan State University of Denver launched an undergraduate major in aging services leadership. It's focused on helping to build up the workforce equipped to support seniors. 
Here to tell us more is Professor Amy Dore, who also serves as the Aging Services Leadership Program Coordinator for Metropolitan State University of Denver. Welcome, Professor Dore. Thank you. It's a joy to be here. In your words, what is the Aging Services Leadership Program at MSU Denver? And what does it entail? Well, it entails my dream (laughs) as a professor, my goal to have a program for students interested in caring for our elder population. Mm. So what this program is in kind of my elevator speech is it is a program that focuses on the business side of aging. Mm. So that means that we can look at what it takes to run organizations that help and provide care for our older population. But also we dive into the psychology part, the sociology part. We can look at at clinical nature. However, the programs are not clinical in nature per se because we know that we have programs. We have nursing programs. So I wanted to provide a broader type of program available for students who can learn what it takes to run, organize, manage, and deliver care. From what I understand, this program is about providing Metro students with a specialized educational experience that is not available currently in this region outside of graduate level programs. So no other institutions are doing this work? That's a very good question. So let me give credit to those who are out there. There are programs out there. They tend to be more... um, decentralized and a little bit more clinical in nature, but also they are not focused exclusively on long-term care or aging services. So for Mm. example, every course that we look at will have something to do with our older population, Mm -hmm. Um, whether it has to do with um, the introduction courses to trends and topics to um, looking at policy implications and it focuses exclusively on that. In addition, we have some unique courses. For example, we have a course in ageism and ableism, and that's not out there, but it's much needed. So yes, our programs are unique, and when I say uh, programs plural, we have different levels of programs in addition to the major. So my goal is to have pathways for students and for people, for example, like caregivers who would like to know more and to get into uh, the industry of caring for our older population. Well, what are the differences? I mean, this is an opportunity to educate <laughs> and inform. What are the differences between ageism and ableism? Sure. And I know that um, a lot of people probably recognize it in certain ways. It's different for everyone. So mm-hmm. ageism is really a stereotype and discrimination based on someone's age. Hmm. So uh, we automatically think of someone who is older. It can happen to someone who is younger also. So we do recognize that. Absolutely. And ableism is in a way similar in, with the distinction that is um, discrimination and stereotype based on per- someone's abilities. And so, again, we tend to think of this as uh, someone who is older because of the assumption that older people have more disabilities, but it can also um, affect our younger population. So in these courses, we address both, but with the uh, focus on our older population. Very interesting. It's good to clear that up. Exactly what problem would you say this program is seeking to address? Number one is workforce. Mm. We want to contribute to 
workforce initiatives. We want to educate and graduate people who can get out in the workforce and be uh, change agents for our older population. Uh, as we heard earlier, Colorado is quickly becoming an older state, and that's new for us. This is new territory for Colorado. Um, so we need to learn from others. We need to um, be innovative, and that's what I wanted this program to be. Well, I did find that interesting. I'm thinking older people now want to be in the snow, <laughs> stay a little bit longer, not move to Florida. I know. I know. I, I do think that it's one of those situations when we talk, and we heard from the demographer saying that people, if they're happy where they are, so if we have a a large group of people, for example, that moved here maybe in the 70s or 80s, and um, they have enjoyed living here. They have family here now. They have built their roots here. And just because they're getting older doesn't mean they want, want to leave. So now the snow is a different story. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but yeah, it's really about the connections. And, and you really need a village. You know, you can't just, when you move somewhere, you have to start all over with friends and hospitals and medical providers. So mm -hmm. maybe people just want to stick with the roots that they've already grown. Exactly. And I think that's a beautiful way to state it. I really do. No one should have to be forced to move based on a condition. So why can't we as a state bring that and bring the opportunities to grow old here in Colorado? Yeah, it's interesting. I was just talking to someone and they had mentioned that they wanted their parent to move closer, but their parent was like, I have my doctors, I have, you know, my church, I have neighbors, and I don't want to leave. And although the child wanted them to come, mm -hmm. she was like, they're not leaving. <laughs> right. they're, it's, like, it's, it's just a lost cause, you know, they're not going to leave, you know, so... Definitely. So we heard those projections from the state demographer. What's your overall reaction to what she said, especially in terms of seniors choosing to age in place? As a researcher, this is information I have known. The fact that it's getting to the public now is something that thrills me. It also shines a light on how many people are aware of what it means to age in place mm. and what will it take mm -hmm. to help the people who, if you think about it, probably the majority of people who will listen to this would ask themselves, do I want to move or do I want to age in place? Aging in place means that you're able to live where you want to, no matter your health conditions or your disabilities. So how do we make that happen? And the aging in place data that we know shows that we do not have the infrastructure set up for here in Colorado. Here in Colorado. And actually mostly in most areas of the United States, to be honest with you. Because being a younger especially a younger state, we we have not experienced that. So how do we hmm. move forward with this? And aging in place is something I think most people would like to do. We also have to look at the financial implications. We have to look at what it means for someone like you said, who wants to move when they have they're settled. They have friends. They have their medical providers. They have their church. They have the community built. And so Absolutely. who wants to have to be forced to move away from that? 
I have trouble moving across town, so I can only imagine <laughs> moving after decades potentially of being somewhere. And I, a lot of the people that I meet here in Colorado say I moved here 30 years ago, 40 years ago, and upwards of that. So they are really settled. Correct. And you alluded to this earlier, and I read that MSU Denver considered the launch of this program as a strategic move to answer a critical workforce need but also an appeal to a sense of shared humanity. Explain for us, what does that mean? Thank you for asking. So yes, we were very strategic in this and we wanted to have pathways for students, but you put that aside and you do look at humanity and you look at what students might not know that they can do, but they fall in love with. They look at the opportunities in the workforce and they learn that it's not always clinical. For example, a lot of people think long-term care has to do with nursing homes. And Mm. I'm not saying that it doesn't, but there is so much more to that. So usually when I have a student take a class, whether it be the introduction class or maybe that ageism and ableism course I told you about, that's when they find out they want to know more and that this is their area and passion. So when you have someone who loves what they're doing and puts their heart and soul into it, Next thing you know, they have a career for a lifetime. They're happy where they work. And when you're working with older adults, that's what we want. Absolutely. Tell us more about the backstory. How did this program come to be? And briefly describe what it was like launching this program. Sure. We are still launching it, actually. Um, But it does go back, actually, 20 years. I started this month at Mark's 22 years for me to be at MSU Denver. And when I started, we had the traditional gerontology certificate and minor. That's what we had. That's all we had. It was difficult to navigate, and it did not allow the flexibility for students to explore certain areas or specific areas that they might be interested in with their career. So it was archived, and then a few years later, we were asked to bring something back. And I thought, well, if we're doing this, I'm going to do some research and see what's needed. So I contacted pretty much all of the industry leaders in Colorado that I knew and said, what would you like to see in a program? Hmm. I also surveyed students and said, if you considered this, what would you consider? And this is how it came about. And so the program has a core, um, as far as the major, has a core four courses. But then beyond that, their electives. So students can look at areas that they, for example, are they interested in finance? Are they interested in policy? Are they interested more in the clinical side or maybe social work side? Uh, And then build that in to the major. Launching it has been exciting because, as you mentioned... And you're lighting up when you say that, so I can tell it really is your passion project. It is. It really is. This stems from me and from my personal experiences, which is something you'll find with a lot of people who are in the long-term care industry, is something in their life impacted them in a way that they wanted to help elders. And for me, that was my grandparents. Hmm. And so hearing the stories of students who are on this journey with me, seeing their excitement has been just beyond my imagination. And here we are still in the beginning. Now I have more questions. You have to tell me, (laughs) what did you learn from that experience with your grandparents? Well, 
I learned several things. One is that if you are going to be working with our older population and with elders, you need to have a heart for it. And Mm. it's something that can be taught, but there's certain aspects like empathy that some, you know, it needs to be innate with someone. And so the other thing I learned was how to be a caregiver and that caregiving is not just clinical. Caregiving has many different levels. And I was blessed to be raised almost um, by my maternal grandparents. I say almost because it wasn't like my parents weren't there, but my dad, my dad <laughs> they was were very a, hands on. They, yes, my dad. <laughs> I can relate to that <laughs> yeah. myself. Yeah, my father was in the military, so every time he was deployed, my mother went back to one of my grandparents, and so I was extremely close to them. And then I was able, out of three out of my four grandparents, I was able to be there um, in their last season of life, and that changes someone. You mentioned earlier that you did this survey of different people across the state asking what they would like in a program. What did they say? Oh, (laughs) that's um, a great question. They said they want people who had a broad understanding of the industry. They wanted people who um, knew the financial aspects, knew the management aspects of running, for example, a CCRC or a life plan community um, to understand what it means when someone has dementia or um, the policy and regulations that we are uh, continually fighting and trying to motivate people to be interested in learning more about so they can be those change agents because we are constantly fighting regulations and policy reimbursement side. Um, So, I mean, it was really kind of a long list. So it had to do with just the nature of what it means to get old and to be old, but also what it is to be employed in an organization that helps people successfully age. Well, you, of course, have the perspective as a professor and an administrator of this program, but let's hear from a student. We're also joined today by Jackie Schwartz, a student currently enrolled in the Aging Services Leadership Program at MSU Denver. Jackie, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. You are a public health student, a senior, congratulations, currently enrolled in this program. Tell us what drew you to the program. So I got an email one day introducing the program and saying if I had any interest at all to contact Dr. Amy Dore. So I did. She and I had our first of many, many meetings, um, and it was just very clear that it was what I was looking for. I'm an, a little bit of a non-traditional student. I returned to school at 25, so just past the time that most mm-hmm. of my peers had wrapped things up, and I needed a non-traditional program that was going to lead me into a career that I knew I could thrive in. Well, from what I understand, you were able to parlay an internship into a full-time job with the Clermont Park Senior Living Community, all while you're still in school. Tell us more about that. I did. So as part of my requirements for getting my degree, I had to complete an internship. Mm. And I started my internship, and it was very clear that it was where I wanted to be. And I had a wonderful time, and I learned so much. And then right as my internship was wrapping up, there was actually an open position at the community, which I applied for. I went through the interview process and was given the job. And so I've been full-time there for a while now. Since April, I've been full-time. And I specifically work in our health suites, which is our skilled nursing long-term care neighborhood of the community. Mm -hmm. Well, 
little known fact about me, Chandra here, I actually worked at a senior community here in Aurora uh, when my uh, youngest son was still very young and I needed like a part-time job. So shout out to Shalom Park. Yes, (laughs) I have to say that. And I actually worked in the recreational department and I led exercise classes and did presentations and kind of chaperone the field trips and it was a lot of fun it really was it is a lot of fun we refer to our recreational department as life enrichment and that is where i work absolutely well i had a blast and i learned a lot and i was really sad when i left uh, my last day like you know you get so attached and you know the funny thing about older people is they do not hold their tongue They tell you exactly what they think. If you're doing well or you're doing or you're not doing so well, they let you know. But they're so endearing and you just get attached. And um, it was just a lot of fun and uh, something that I never imagined. And I tell people it's a great job. A lot of people come into working in a senior living community having never thought they would ever work in one. That would be me. (laughs) So what would you say you've learned the most? I mean, just about this population and working directly with them. I have learned about all the different ways someone can age and how varying in ability you can Mm. have when you're aging. Absolutely. And the, and the, the importance of having a community. So many of the people I work with, with my residents, have lost spouses, spouses of 50 plus years, and seeing people go through that change, and it is a significant change. And watching the way their neighbors who also live in the community come together, and the social support is so important. We also have solo agers, people who are aging without a spouse, without children, maybe they never married. Mm-hmm. And they are able to have such a strong community and social support as would be harder if they were staying in the apartment they've always been in. Having social interactions, social supports, friends, chosen family is something we all need. Well, I also learned about this uh, indirectly, or I don't know, maybe directly, and it goes to your point, Amy, that um, you usually have an experience that leads you here. In my case, um, in terms of the part-time job, it was schedule, flexibility, But also, I learned a lot. Uh, I'm originally from New Orleans, and my family, my immediate family, was impacted by Hurricane Katrina, which literally obliterated our neighborhood. And my grandmother was, I think, 75 when this happened. And to lose everything at that age. And then I also had a great aunt and uncle who also were displaced, and uh, they all came to live with us in Atlanta due to this uh, unfortunate event. And we had to find housing and programming for them. And it was it was a lot because they were completely displaced. And of course, this was a catastrophe. So everyone was displaced. But I learned a lot. And also about the psychological aspect of aging. It's really tough. Mm -hmm. I work with people with varying levels of cognitive impairment. And I'm someone who I like to take a deep dive into my main interest at the time. And oftentimes I cycle through going into deep dives about dementia. Um, I just find it extremely fascinating and being able to spend, you know, my work week with people who are living with varying levels of dementia has been extremely eye opening and the best education. Honestly, I love my university program. 
I could speak so highly of it all day. <laughs> and I'm, I feel extremely fortunate that I get to do my schoolwork and it's online, which works so perfectly for me. And then I get to go to my, you know, my day job, which is also my classroom in a lot of ways. Absolutely. You learned so much. And I, I had to learn techniques and strategies to get some people out of their rooms and mm-hmm. and socializing. And, you know, as we mentioned, there's a lot of mental health challenges that you have to overcome to really embrace the season of life. Well, the passion you have is really evident. I'm looking at you right now and you seem very passionate about this, but let's keep it real. So it's money. Mm-hmm. The article I read about this program at MSU Denver noted that opportunities in aging services are plentiful and well-paying, with salaries averaging upwards of $75,000. What have you learned about the career opportunities that await after you graduate? So there's a lot of career opportunities, and it really depends on what you're drawn to, because I believe in working within your passion. Hmm. For me, I'm extremely passionate about long-term care. I'm exploring the option of getting my nursing home administrator's license. Nothing set in stone, (laughs) but that is something I'm strongly exploring. And that is a extremely rewarding job. It's also, um, you're busy, you're very busy. And the compensation is good. And when I think about my future, of course, working in this setting, I wanna make sure that my financial needs will be met in the case that I do develop a disability as I'm older and that I'm able to live somewhere long-term where as my needs go up, they can be met where I live. Well, there's definitely a need, but as you all both have alluded to, passion is very important. And I, the, the article said a pro, that this is a profession powered by heart. What does that mean to you? It means that if your heart is not in it, you're not gonna stay in the profession. To me, that's what that means. It's not an easy job at all. It is so incredibly rewarding, but if you're not passionate about it, the burnout rate can be very high. Well, you're saying that to a journalist, I understand. (laughs) (laughs) But is there a story you can share from one of the residents or someone you've interacted with in this population um, that has inspired you? Sure. There's so many. I have to pick one. (laughs) Um, I had a resident that I grew very close with, and she passed away um, just a couple of weeks ago. And through my time working with seniors, I've experienced quite a bit of death. It's part of life. It is part of the circle of life. And um, this resident in particular, she was a hoot in a riot (laughs) and would say whatever on your mind and forever (laughs) and a forever curious person she was always amazed at the world around her and what had developed over her nearly 100 years on earth um and i was always so inspired by that by her constant curiosity and caring for others and never losing her sense of wanting to be a part of the party. (laughs) (laughs) Very inspiring. As an extrovert, I love that so much. Um, Well, I mentioned being from New Orleans, so I can, I I, I like that. Yeah. (laughs) That's what we're about. (laughs) Just a constant zest for life. Professor, what do you want those out there looking for career opportunities or those changing careers to know about the opportunities that exist here? that there are possibilities, there are opportunities. And 
MSU Denver is a non-traditional university, and because of that, our average age of student is higher. Mm-hmm. And you also have students who really have taken the opportunity to explore and investigate what they want to do, which is the same case with Jackie. Mm-hmm. And to know that the instructors and professors that are there, the staff that are there, they are there because they love their job and mm-hmm. they are passionate about it, especially in our Department of Health Professions. And we want students to know that the opportunities are really endless because we will do what it takes for students to achieve the education and their academic journey that they dreamed of. So for example, especially in aging services, like I said, the assumption is that you're going to work in a nursing home. And and it's so much bigger than that. It is so much bigger than that. What's some examples of some of the things that people don't know that they could do? Oh, well, a, a big one would be health information systems. So IT is a, a huge one to look at. Jack, you might have to help me here. Um, which would entail? So, well, if you think about it, every organization, every community, we call them communities instead of facilities, um, because who really wants to live in a facility? So yep. community is a nicer um, way of um, naming a home. So they have a lot of technology. If you think about even um, hospitality is another um, connection and uh, the robots that are delivering meals to some mm. of um, in some of these communities, uh, the connection that our residents have with their families requires IT. And so that's uh, just a very quick example. Not to mention, though, that IT is involved in operating the organization as a whole. So that would be one example. We also have, you know, the need for human resources. Um, We have the need for sales and marketing, branding. We have the need for quality and, um, you know, the regulation and policy side. So, there is a a lot involved that students aren't aware of. And there's a lot of new jobs that are being created just because, especially here in Colorado, we're learning what it is to age as a state. Mm. And so what is needed. So the topics of aging in place or solo aging, um, learning more about the middle market. What do uh, the middle market agers need? You know, so there there's just so much opportunity. It's hard to kind of put it into one, you know, nice package. (laughs) Well, it sounds like education is at the core of this because people are going to need to know about this and understand it. So education is going to be key. It is. And that's one reason why I am so excited about these programs, because I asked and I was told, let's try this. And so now we have a digital badge, which takes two courses. We have a certificate and then we have the minor and we have the major all in aging services leadership. So, you know, for someone who thought or thinks they cannot do it, they don't have the time, um, it's it's something they maybe don't have that belief in themselves. Well, we do, I do. And it's very exciting to be in this place right now at a university that has such a unique student population and you see such rewarding outcomes. Well, you mentioned having a unique student population. You also mentioned that you all at MSU Denver have a lot of non-traditional students, but still there are young people there. And how do you inspire or attract young people to think about something that, you know, quite frankly, when we're young, we don't spend a lot of time thinking about getting older? Well, I 
suggest they dip their toes in. And so when I say that, students who are young, they're starting out directly from high school to college. And we are seeing a lot more of that at MSU Denver, which makes class sizes and class makeup of students very exciting and fun to work with um, because we do have a a huge age range in our classes now, uh, much more than when I started 22 years ago. So that Mm. is very exciting. Um, One thing I try to do is bring the industry into the classroom. So that's through guest lectures. So you have speakers and presenters to show them different opportunities that exist. Exactly. And I'll do vignette videos where we have industry leaders record something about themselves, their lives, or their their own academic journey, and where they are now and how they got into aging services or long-term care. Because this really is, Jackie's time right now as a student is the first we're really seeing of students intentionally going into long-term care or aging services and not just falling into it through another degree like mm-hmm. management or hospitality or social work. And so we are on the the leading edge of this and i will tell you also the community in denver as far as the associations those who are supporting our elders they're very supportive of my students and so i can call someone and say can you provide an experience for a student can they shadow you and oftentimes that's what gets the student is when they get to spend a day with someone who works in the industry or the day a day with a resident or just being in a community. And so it's the opportunities that we provide in the program that are so personalized and specialized, I think, that helps draw students, especially either if they're younger or if they just do not have much knowledge of the industry. Speaking of knowledge, you clearly have a lot of knowledge and passion for this From where you sit, what should Colorado as a state be doing now to get in front of this predicted shortage of caregivers for its aging population? Well, one is recognizing that we are aging, recognizing that Colorado is um, the second fastest growing. What would that look like to you? Creating a new division, an office, or what, 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 what would that look like to you? for Colorado to finally, well, for Colorado to step up and say we need to get ahead of this before we have a critical shortage? Well, probably the list goes too long, but the the first would be to provide opportunities for education. And uh, Colorado is not well known for uh, our ranking in education. So providing education, because if you do not have the workforce that is stable and a workforce that is there and available, you're not going to be able to provide the services. So that would be one. Um, Recognizing the policy implications and the financial implications of aging. It's expensive to age. And I do not believe that we are aware of that. I always kind of joke that I think as a human being, we don't believe that we're aging. It's something we don't want to think of. It catches up with you. It catches up with us. (laughs) One day you wake up and say, wow, this is really happening. I'm just curious, Jackie, I know you're new to this and you're studying and you're, you know, working in the industry um, even now. What are your thoughts about what Colorado should be doing to prepare for this anticipated and really ongoing shortage of workers? Something I talk about and yes within Colorado but this is really a societal issue is bringing the topic of aging to your kitchen table 
talking about it. We live in a culture where talking about aging and death is taboo and we just, we don't want to think about it. We don't want to talk about it. But the reality is we will all age and we will all die someday. And being able to have those conversations younger and not when it's sitting you in the face right now, Mm -hmm. not when you're seeing it for the first time with a close relative Mm -hmm. is so important. And understanding that it's okay to be around people who are aging and who are, you know, getting closer to dying or actively dying is really important. So bringing elders and elder care into our everyday conversation, exposing children. You know, if you have a relative, an older relative, they would love to spend time with your kids. And I think your kids would love to spend time with them. The intergenerational learning. Yeah, intergenerational learning is so important. I spent a lot of time with elders growing up, just in my family, going when my great-grandmother moved into long-term care. I have memories of visiting her. My previous career, I was worked in hair. I did barbering and hairdressing. And I ended up with a whole clientele of seniors, and they were my favorite. <laughs> I love them so much. Um, the blue-haired crew? Yes. <laughs> well, honestly, with the challenges that we face here in Colorado in terms of affordable housing, there's a lot more intergenerational living happening, too. Absolutely. My generation is really, you know, is really facing that. We have a harder time buying homes at the age that our parents and our grandparents bought homes. And so many of us are living with family. If my family was in Colorado, I would be living with them. And so that is something that as we move to a more intergenerational living situation, a more intergenerational household setup, we're going to be seeing a lot more of. And it's important. And we can look at other other communities, other societies, especially um, Eastern societies where intergenerational living is very common. And then you can also look at their approach to elder care. And they are ahead of us. They really are. And I think we have a lot to learn from them. Yeah. And um, I happen to be in an intergenerational living situation with my mother living with my family. And uh, when we were looking for a house, we wanted to be thoughtful about the house. I mean, she can walk upstairs now, but we wanted to think about things like stairs and access, you know, like how wide, you know, the you know the doorways are and the hallways are and things like that. So it definitely is something, but you make a good point about talking. Uh, I am a part of a lot of uh, online groups that talk about aging, and that seems to be the common denominator. You find out all this stuff when it's really late and then you're trying to fix it because you wouldn't have the conversation or couldn't have the conversation before because we don't talk about that. I feel very fortunate that I am a, from a family who can talk very open about it. Last time my parents came to visit me here in Denver, we actually sat down and we went over their end of life wishes and their will and what How'd that want. conversation start? <laughs> it, well, my parents specifically, it was, we were all in town. My brother was here too. And they specifically said, we want to have this conversation. And my my brother and I were very open to it, very receptive. And I was very lucky that they were having that conversation with me. As we begin to wrap up, Professor Dorr, 
Are there any plans in place that you are aware of to expand this program or to launch similar programs in other disciplines at MSU Denver or at other institutions here in Colorado that will focus on addressing the needs of Colorado's aging population? Well, yes. MSU Denver is building a health institute and so that Health Institute will bring us a lot of opportunities to um, teach students and bring those opportunities um, for education to students in a manner that's innovative. And so very excited about that. Are other institutions here in Colorado and across the country reaching out to you all, asking for more information or hinting that they may be embracing this as something that they're going to incorporate into their institutions? That's a great question. I have a lot of people reaching out to me wanting to know the path and journey. And people as in? So everyone um, from those in other organizations outside of Colorado to academic um institutions. What I see already is that academic institutions who have programs or a similar program are trying to kind of update the program to reflect the the needs of their state or the needs uh, that we're seeing in our country um, to better prepare those in the workforce. So I am lucky enough to be on committees that bring together academic institutions in long-term care. And so we can talk and say, what are you doing and what are you changing? How are you doing this? And what is your need in your state? And so I'm seeing movement towards that. And being where we are now with a program that is so unique is interesting to be able to provide my perspective on this journey. Jackie, anything else you want to share before we wrap up? I want to just reach out to anyone who is considering going back to school, who maybe tried it. It wasn't for them at the time, but they're in a different place in life. And also want to help people understand that there are so many options for pathways to get your degree and to try it. I just took it. I tried it. And it ended up working really well for me and in a way that I hadn't considered before. Um, And it brought me into a career that I'm loving and I hope to continue with. Um, The digital badge is a great way to start. It's two classes. I have peers and friends um, in the Aging Services Leadership Program, and we live in different parts of the state or different states, and we all have very different lifestyles, and it's worked for us. Mm -hmm. And so I just want to encourage anyone who's thinking about it and who hears this interview and thinks, oh, maybe this is something I would be into. Just take a class. It's really worth it. Well, it seems like it's going to touch every industry. It really is. Amy, Jackie, thank you both for joining us. Thank you. Professor Amy Dore is the coordinator for the Aging Services Leadership Program at Metropolitan State University of Denver. We were also joined by Jackie Schwartz, a student now enrolled in the program launched in the fall focused on building up a more robust workforce that can support the needs of Coloradans aged 65 and up. By 2050, the number of seniors in our state is expected to more than double to 1.7 million. We'll share a link to the MSU Denver program later today when we post this segment to the Colorado Matters page on our website, which is CPR.org. Today, we'll also want to share that we're launching an ongoing new series here on Colorado Matters. Silver Colorado will hone in on various aspects of aging here in the Centennial State. 
This is Colorado Matters on CPR News and KRCC. Among Colorado's most common wildflowers, high in the tundra, is a bright and showy bloom that looks somewhat like a buttercup. The little yellow alpine avens is adapted to high altitudes. Its leaves are thick to retain moisture in cold and drying winds. And a red pigment allows the avens to sprout early and last a little longer in a very short growing season. In fact, the leaves turn a beautiful red late in summer and provide a pop of color amid the browning tundra. Animals are generally not attracted to the flower because it contains a lot of bitter and potentially harmful tannin. So why does the perky little pica gather bright yellow avens? It turns out that tannin actually preserves the other grasses and flowers stored in pica hay piles. After the tannin degrades, the pica does finally consume the avens' blossoms. A Colorado postcard from CPR, with support from Coble & Company. The Colorado Lottery rakes in hundreds of millions of dollars a year, while a big chunk of that money goes to prize winners. As CPR's Tony Gorman explains, there are other big winners, too, namely Colorado Parks. My Dalmatian Ashley and I recently visited the Cherry Creek State Park's dog off-leash area. We usually come here to get some fresh air and exercise. You want me to throw the ball, don't you? Give it to me. Come on, pick it up. Yeah, good girl. This place and all Colorado parks and wildlife acres get money from a unique source. Scratch-off tickets and lottery numbers. I think a lot of people don't really understand how much money the lottery gives back to to our parks and our, our open spaces and, you know, how much of the funding of new state parks and state park projects comes from the lottery. That's Tom Seaver, the executive director of the Colorado Lottery. He says last year the lottery brought in a record-setting $890 million. Seaver says it gets doled out. 62% of the revenue that we take in goes right back to players in the form of prizes. Then one of the next biggest uh, places it goes is to our retailer. After that, a whopping $195 million goes to what Seaver calls beneficiaries, and that's Colorado's state parks. It's something only this state does. There are some other lotteries that have smaller percentages that go into um, you know, conservation, but we are the only one in the world whose complete focus is on uh, improving and maintaining the outdoor environment in Colorado. This deal was enshrined in the state constitution by Colorado voters in 1992 and created the agency Great Outdoors Colorado, or GOCO, to invest the millions of dollars from the lottery in outdoor recreation and land conservation projects around the state. Executive Director Jackie Miller says the majority of GOCO funds are awarded through competitive grants. So a quarter of that goes to local governments and other partners for park and trail development work. Another quarter goes to local governments, the land trust community and parks and wildlife for land protection, stewardship work. 50% of the dedicated lottery money, 40% goes to the Conservation Trust Fund, and the rest goes directly to Colorado Parks and Wildlife. And since 1992, more than 5,600 projects have been funded. 
Miller says they invest in youth programs such as Generation Wild and Youth Corps. You know, we invested about a million dollars in Youth Corps last year, which employed over 265 youth who worked on, um, you know, over nine miles of trails. Another recent funding highlight for Miller, green space in the town of Erie. A redevelopment project of the Erie Community Park, which really kind of located right in their downtown area. So that involved a really great playground and splash pad and walking trail around the perimeter of the park. That was a cool community impact project. Miller says GOCO is in the middle of a grant cycle and will unveil some new projects for this year soon. The state might be known for the great outdoors, even big dog parks on the outskirts of Denver. But the Colorado Lottery wants it to be known as winning country. Play the lottery. Everyone in Colorado wins. Hi. Hey. Can I get one of those? Yeah, sure thing. And from their ads, it feels like it. It may take a good deal of luck to actually win a prize playing the lottery, but GOCO's director, Miller, thinks Colorado is the ultimate winner here. We're so fortunate in the state of Colorado to have this tremendous partnership between the Colorado Lottery and Great Outdoors Colorado, and we're just lucky here in Colorado to benefit from it. And Ashley and I are pretty lucky, too. Lucky to have wide open spaces. Oh, Ashley, Ashley, Ashley. And the towel in the car. For CPR News, I'm Tony Gorman. We did this story in response to a question we received through our ongoing series, Colorado Wonders. What do you wonder about life in our state? Send us your question at CPR.org slash Colorado Wonders, and we just might answer your query on air or online. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. This is CPR News and KRCC.